Man, listen. <laughs> I'm excited, man. I'm excited because we're back. And it, took that, it took that Rona to bring us back, man. <laughs> Welcome to the Boxing One Podcast, where we discuss Christ, sports, and culture through the lens of the gospel. The Boxing One Podcast is back and in full effect. Uh, back at it. Took a while. See, last where you been at, man? I've uh, been in my treadmill, Jay Rich. Losing some pounds, man. Going for Trying to. Going from pound cake to a slice of bread. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, I, I know we like to chop it up from time to time, and we want to welcome our listeners back to the Boxing One podcast, but we want to make sure that we, we dive into this topic because the coronavirus has taken the world by storm, literally, and has impacted everybody, all of our lives, in unprecedented ways. As a matter of fact, you're probably sitting at home now, homeschooling kids, trying to figure out what's for dinner, uh, just going crazy. So hopefully as you listen to this podcast, you'll get all that squared away. But we want to start with something that both of us were kind of thinking about and brainstorming. And it's the fact that we can, in the midst of all of this, we can laugh. Like we can actually laugh and have a good time. And specifically, man, for our people, you know, we're both African-American, man. We always have a way that we can laugh at our pain. And We've seen the memes around. We've seen the coronavirus song. I mean, we can just go on and on, right? But man, there's a way that we're able to laugh at our pain in the midst of this coronavirus situation, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I was just telling you earlier about the basketball one where my man had on the white hazmat suit and the green gloves and pulled up for that J and then celebrated by spraying the Lysol joint. I mean, Sometimes you just need a moment of levity in all of this, you know? Bro, they took the Bobby Brown Tenderoni cover and put Tenderona on that joint, man. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all out out here wildin', yo. (laughs) So in the midst of all that social distancing, in some ways we're able to laugh together even when we're isolated. And that's a historical reality for African-Americans, right? Because we are people who have taken terrible stuff and I've been able to either laugh together about it, make jokes about ourselves. We have these inside uh, coded language that we're able to use that other folks don't know. And it's something that we've had to do because we've had to find ways to get past the suffering that we've had, right? So a lot of African-American comedians, Richard Pryor, all those folks, man, they would have us in stitches. And part of it is just because they want to point out the pain but find ways to laugh in the midst of that. So how can we do that in the midst of this entire coronavirus thing? All right, so I got, I got a question for you, Jay Rich. So imagine we are not in the ministry right now, but we were working for ESPN, all right? Boom, all sports have stopped. They come to us and they say, you gotta create a 30 for 30, but we need your department to just be the funny department. So we need you to take the funniest thing you remember ever to happen in sports and then make a documentary about it. What you gonna pick? Bro, I got like two of them, all right? First one is my man, Pedro, all right? I played rec league basketball about four years ago and we play in a church league. And so we were playing this other team 
And we're in warm-ups, man. I'm looking over the other side of the court, man. And this dude has on the full stereotypical, you doing too much basketball gear, bro. And his name was Pedro, which was even better. <laughs> but, it, but it had on the goggles. He had on the knee-high socks. He had on the short shorts. He had on elbow pads. He had on knee pads. Nah, he didn't have on elbow pads. Bruh, I will show you a picture. Pedro <laughs> was out there ready. I know it took at least 30 minutes for the brother to get ready. <laughs> but once he did, Pedro was ready to put in that work. Now, listen, I wear ankle braces. I know how long it takes to put that on. But he had every piece of gear in Foot Locker that you can even name, bro. Listen. <laughs> His name was Pedro, which was awesome. Did he get buckets? No, Pedro. Pedro was a bum. <laughs> Pedro. Was did he bum. put all that work in and then get buckets? Listen, and on the other side of that, it was his brother that came out and played in slides and was getting buckets, bro. <laughs> <laughs> he had on slides, man. He even had on sneakers, man. I'm like, what's this dude doing? He come out there, man, getting buckets. I think he put up about 15, 20 for Listen. sure. I grew up, like, I read every basketball book in our library. And I think I remember reading the big E, Elvin Hayes. Somebody stole his shoes when he was playing at University of Houston before the game. And he just went over to Payless and grabbed anything he could find and then went out and gave him, like, 45 or 41 in whatever shoes he could just find to throw on for a moment. So it's not in the shoes, fam. He had on that Payless special, bro. I'm going to give you one, and then you give me your second one. If I had to do one, if I had to do a 30 for 30, I think I'm going with uh, that one time where Chris Webber asked for A1 sauce. And uh, I think I would just make a whole full-length documentary about the time that Chris, <laughs> Chris Webber went into a fancy restaurant and gotten a beef with the chef over the A1. I think there's so many cultural dynamics. I just think that is the funniest story ever. I think I would do a brilliant job interviewing the chef, interviewing Chris Webber, Interviewing the makers of A1, I would have that story. I would have that documentary right for my people, yeah. That joint would be great. Hey, listen, I, mine from the NBA level would probably be a, you could do a full-length documentary on why Allen Iverson was so upset about having to practice. <laughs> we, all, we all know the footage, right? We, we've heard it. But it's like, hey, what was he, like, what was in his mind? Like, why was he so upset? about having the practice or being upset about the media asking him about practice, man. Yeah. That was one of the greatest press moments in modern history. Yes, we need to know. We need to have Aaron McKee and Eric Snow explain what was going through their mind when they saw that press conference and Eric Geiger. Like, I want to know what everyone was thinking in that moment. So I think obviously the whole thing is like, when I get to the game, I'm not passing to none of y'all. <laughs> There's nothing to practice. Like, I'm the only offensive player on this roster, and it was built that way on purpose. So what is we practicing for? Like, I'm not passing. Y'all are going to throw me the ball. We're not going to get any better by practicing this. He was that guy. And we all had that guy on our team who hated practice. I mean, we didn't really like practice, but there were just guys who was just like, man, bro, I'm just going to put up buckets. I don't know what y'all doing with this motion offense, but <laughs> – I'm coming to put up buckets. I'm not interested until I see the ref and the fans. Yeah, I did have that teammate, too. The funny thing was his name might or may not have been Pedro. So uh, 
<laughs> man, I sure miss sports, man. And it's been very strange having a march without basketball, a march without the Masters. It's just been crazy. But part of it is just because of the impact that coronavirus has had on not just the sports world, but on our personal lives. And there are a lot of people today who are asking questions, very tough questions, that you and I, you know, we like to process things from a biblical lens and try to figure out how to best ask these, answer these questions because there are going to be people out there who are concerned, worry, have fear, and are trying to figure out how is it that in this culture uh, where everything's going well, that all of a sudden our lives change, and then where, you know, if I'm a Christian, where is the sovereign God in all of this? So we're talking about the other side of God's sovereignty, right? The side that a lot of people don't like to talk about. Uh, help folks, man, process that and think through, man, what does that look like? What does the other side of sovereignty look like, C-Last? Yeah, I, I think um, <clears throat> the first thing, um, just if we were to pull back the curtain, I said, Jay Rich, like, Let's throw something up. Um, people are at home. Uh, Laughter is good medicine. Um, and so we wanted to start with something funny still, but we also know like, hey, like this is impacting a lot of people in a way that's not funny. So we are laughing in the midst of pain, but we're also like, we'd be remiss if we didn't say like, hey, people are going through it. People are losing jobs. Uh, restaurants are closing. Um, People are scared their loved ones that um, with compromised immune systems may not make it through this. And so ultimately, um, one of the deepest theological questions you ever will get is why? And so what do we do with that um, why question? And I think it's hard to go through that why question um, without going through the darker side of sovereignty. Um, some of the stuff that happens. And so I, I think about the book of Ruth and uh, she says, don't even call me that, call me this, because life's been bitter. And I think a lot of people can relate to her in that moment where she is saying, ah, life has been bitter. Like, I don't see God's hand anywhere in this, but if we were to read the full book of Ruth, we would see like God's hand was actually in that and that he was organizing circumstances in order to provide deliverance through her and ultimately lead to the ultimate deliverance um, as her line becomes part of the line of Jesus Christ. And I think that's like a motif that we see in scripture a lot of times. I don't know if it makes it feel any better in the moment when you're going through it, but to know like that God hasn't fallen asleep at the wheel and that he's always used these things, these dark providences um, to work out his good plan and that good always has come from it as we see it in scripture. And I think um, it's not just Ruth, but it's also the story of Joseph and it's the story of Job and it's the story of Esther. And ultimately it's the meta narrative of scripture. Like the whole book is about, God taking one evil night, one unjust court case, one like unwarranted killing and birthing a new family that's been removed from sin's curse. And um, I think that's helpful as a Christian 
to know, but I think it's also helpful for people who may say like, this is why I abandoned any belief in God to see that like, um, God has a plan and he's still working even when we see the darkness. What about you? What would you tell someone? I also think that's the unique thing about the Christian faith as well, because apart from the cross, um, there are a lot of unanswered questions. Bruce Shelley in his book, uh, Church History in Plain Language, says that the Christian faith is the only faith that has as its central event the humiliation of God. The only faith that God himself subjected himself to humiliation so that he could answer some of these questions for us, which means that he's saying, I'm redeeming you through my own pain so I can enter that pain with you. So I think it's super important for us as believers and for those who are asking questions about God to be able to experience a very personal God who entered the pain himself and said that I'm going to be humiliated so that when you have these seasons of life, you have a reference point to point to, that you're not just believing some kind of fairy tale or pie in the sky, that I actually uh, came to this earth, uh, subjected myself to this pain and this humility and died on the cross so that you could have something to turn to in these moments of pain yourself. That was a powerful quote. That is, uh, yeah. So what do we, what do we tell people in the midst of that, Jay Rich? So like knowing that this is true, um, what do we tell? Well, let's take it this way. First I'll say, what would you tell uh, the believer that is all of a sudden um, really having a hard time because of this season that we're in right now? Because, like, that theology helps with the future hope and the fact, like, there's probably comfort in the fact that um, God isn't wasting my pain. You know what I'm saying? But he's ultimately redeeming my pain and he's entered into my pain. What would you tell them in that moment? Yeah, I think the present hope comes through Paul's words uh, when he's, he tells us, he says, be, an- be anxious for nothing. But realizing that anxiety is a very real thing for a lot of people, especially in these moments, Paul turns and says, well, here's the things that you need to actually think on. Think on things that are good, um, things that are praiseworthy, um, things that are of good report. So I think that allowing yourself to think on things that God is still at work in your life in, i.e. you still have breath in your body, um, you, your family is still uh, in sync um, together, uh, even if you all are in the same house. I think that's one of the things that, that John Piper talks about, where he says that God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, but you're only aware of five of them. So my approach is to trying to figure out or fill up the space and think through what are those other things that I'm not really aware of or not even thinking about that God is doing, be grateful for those things. And that kind of helps fill up my joy meter as I'm I'm processing that pain. So I would say, uh, take a look at Philippians 4, Uh, walk through some of that and think through what God is doing in your life personally. It's one of the reasons that I always say that when people, when we have these crises, uh, people need to continue to turn to God's word, especially Christian people, 
um, because it is a source of encouragement for us all. It's easy for us to binge watch certain things on Netflix and other things. Um, but one of the things that you need to do in the midst of all of this is continue to practice those spiritual disciplines. And prayerfully, those will help you turn around some of that anxiety, pain, worry, and fear that you may have and start to have joy. And Philippians is all about, it's the book of joy, talking about joy. So, I'll add this verse, First um, Peter 5, 10. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> and so First uh, Peter 5, I always pray through some scriptures every morning. First Peter 5, 7 is a scripture. I pray through uh, every day of my life, pretty much. But um, if you just keep on reading, uh, there is some wise advice for us in this season of life for that. Uh, last question for you, Jay Rich, on the theological end. Uh, now I got my homies in my neighborhood. We've been trying to chop it up about some theology stuff, and they're just not there yet. And so they might come to me today and be like, look, see, last, see, this why, this why I don't mess with that whole Christianity thing. Like if you say, and I mean, <clears throat> this is the famous argument of the uh, of the skeptic, right? Um, if God is either all good, He's all powerful, and there's evil, how can all three of those things be true? You know what I'm saying? So um, as we look at somebody who may be looking at this through a different lens, and we're processing this with our friends who are really going through it. Um, how do we engage there? I think the most powerful three words for a skeptic that I find in scripture are come and see. As Nathaniel sits under a tree and the other disciples come to him and say, hey, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And they have an experience with Christ. So they know him. They don't try to defend Christ. All they say to him is come and see. And in saying those words, they admit a couple of things. They admit, one, I might not have the answers, but I know who, do, who does. And then two, um, I understand that you do not have the same experience that I have with him. But if you do encounter him, I do know your life will change because I've had that personal encounter with him. So I think it's not about having the right answers for a person, but it's about being able to bring them to the feet of Jesus, which means um, inviting them in, talking about some of their questions from a Christ-centered perspective. And that means first centering yourself on prayer um, and also in God's word. So you may be able to, uh, by the Spirit's help, because scripture says that he helps us when we don't have the answer to those questions. Um, being able to do that is going to go a long way with answering the skeptic. I think a lot of us kind of feels like we dismiss them or if we don't have the answer, oh, well. But if you just use that humble approach and say, hey, I might not have the answers, but can you come sit with me? And as we sit with him, he will answer your questions. Six feet apart. <laughs> six feet apart. <laughs> Big facts. We own that six foot rule and the elbow bump rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, thank you. I think that's been super helpful. You got anything you want to throw out as far as what you're reading, Jay Rich? I know you got something good. Yeah, so a couple of resources that I think I want to offer the folks 
uh, as they are quarantining at home. One of the things that uh, I really appreciate is Ligonier, and both of us are familiar with R.C. Sproul's teaching, but they actually released their entire teaching series library for free for everyone. I'll put it in the show notes so you guys can go over there and check out their series, but it's like 2,000 teaching series, a lot of stuff to help you grow in Christ. So as I'm thinking about what I'm reading, I'm probably doing more listening and watching these days, but some of the things I may be reading right now, um, what am I reading? The Unsaved Christian is a good book on cultural Christianity. It goes through 10 categories of uh, people who are in the church, but are nominal Christians, which means they are not necessarily uh, Christians who practice the faith that they believe. And it's really helpful for me and my team as we think through how to best have conversations with people who are coming to faith, who are churched folks, but not necessarily folks who are um, growing deep as disciples. So it's helped my team. It's called The Unsaved Christian, and it is a book on cultural Christianity. What about you, man? What you reading? Um, right now, I'm reading. Uh, just started NT Wright, Surprised by Hope. Um, just wanted to have a firmer grasp on um, the fourth element in that creation, fall, redemption, restoration motif. Asked a couple of friends, and that was one of the books that came highly recommended on that. And um, I was listening to a Jude 3 podcast the other day, and she mentioned she had an author on of a book called um, The Parable of a Brown Girl. And so I got that one in the mail the other day and uh, trying to convince my girls to read it, but I'll also pick it up and I'll know I'll do some of that reading as well. Good stuff, man. We'll put links to all these resources in the show notes. Hopefully it'll help you guys as y'all sit through this Rona virus situation. <laughs> Listen, man, I really, uh, I'm glad to be back with you, man. We've been uh, out for a hot minute, but it's good to be able to sit doing down. Doing good with stuff, you. though. We're doing good stuff. So, yeah, yeah, we are. It's good, good chopping it up with you again, man. So, hopefully, this episode was helpful for folks as they uh, process the current events. And we will definitely circle back, be back soon. Now that I know C Labs may have some space during the day to help record some stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, homeboy. All right. Peace out.